are two, three weeks into our February series, and we're going to continue it today. It's called Enough About Me. And uh, we've been talking about the importance of living for more than just yourself. Um, you know, we, we talked about the fact that living just for yourself is a recipe for misery. That even the world knows that, and it's, it's uh, scriptural too. God did not design us to just live for ourselves. In fact, the two most important commandments, Jesus says, is to love God and love others. And uh, so that's what's been the focus of this month, and uh, I hope you've been challenged by it and encouraged. And uh, I know I have studying it. Been a lot of conviction going on in my office during the week, so, uh, so it's been really good. But uh, I'm going to jump right in, and I want to give you my text verse for today. It's going to be out of Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. This is the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. It was preached by Jesus himself. So if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on the screen for you. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, uh, again. And um, we want to make sure your feet don't swell so you stand and sit a lot. Uh, Matthew 5, 13. These are the words of Jesus. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's a good word from Jesus. The title of my message today is Attractive Christianity. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Would you do your work today in our hearts? God, let the seed that is sown today produce fruit in our lives. God, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds to receive from you today for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Attractive Christianity. So attraction is a wonderful thing, right? In fact, we were designed to be attracted to things and to people. It's the way God designed it. In fact, you get a dopamine rush when you experience attraction. But what we know about attraction, though, is that it is very subjective. What might be really attractive to you might not be attractive to someone else. And uh, so I actually uh, devised... A, uh, a little experiment for us this morning, just so we can see how subjective attraction can be in life. So I'm gonna put some pictures up on the screen, and then uh, I'm gonna ask you by a show of hands to, to explain to me or let me know which one you are more attracted to, okay? This is not people, we're not talking about being attracted to people, okay? Well, this is gonna be, we're talking about stuff. So, okay, the first picture is gonna be a couple watches. All right, so, more attracted or more drawn to a fancy Rolex watch? or a really nice smartwatch. So who's more drawn to the fancy watch? Show of hands. Okay, good bit of you. Smartwatch? All right, so it's about 50-50. That's what first service was too. You guys are all the same. It's about 50-50, all right? So that tells me that some of you would rather be beautiful than smart. Right? <laughs> I would too, but there's no chance of that, so I'm just gonna try to be as smart as I can. All right. All right, the next one, we're gonna have a couple shoes up there. Now, they're ladies' shoes, but men, you can be part of this too. So, would you prefer comfortable or fancy? All right, who prefers comfortable? Yeah, how about fancy? Yep, comfortable wins. They did in first service too. Same people in first service. Is everybody here in first service too? Uh, okay, next we have, this is more for men, but women, you can participate in this too. A nice truck or a Mercedes? All right. Who's more drawn to the nice truck? <laughs> yeah, look at all those hands. All right, how about a Mercedes? A few of you. Okay, so nobody wants to admit that they want a Mercedes. That's what it is. 
All right. Actually, a lot of you did say you want a Mercedes. So that's good. All right. Then the last one there, this is a, you got three options on this one for vacation. You're more drawn to the mountains, the city or the beach vacation. All right. Who's most drawn to the mountains? Uh-huh. City. Okay. And the beach and the beach winds, uh, hands down every time. I just don't like getting a lot of sand in all the places, you know, but, uh, I prefer the mountains per personally. I think Joy would prefer the city. So we never go on vacation. So just kidding. We go all the time. Okay. So based on your variety of answers, we can surmise from this, that it is subjective, that attraction is subjective. Okay. Now let's look from the other side though. Let's say you're wanting to be attractive. You're not looking to what you're attracted to, but you're wanting someone to be attracted to you. When you find somebody, you see somebody that catches your eye, you try to find out what they like so you can do that, right? Because you're trying to make yourself attractive to that person. Um, I mean, guys, how many of us have changed our style for a woman? Hmm? Gen X men, anybody cut off a mullet for a woman? <laughs> we don't want to admit that we ever had a mullet, but uh, ladies, how many of you all of a sudden became a Georgia Bulldogs fan for a guy? Hmm? Or a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Anybody say T-Swift? Right? <laughs> we, uh, we do what we have to do to be attracted or to be, a, to, yeah, to be attractive to someone or something else. You know, we're going to show them our best side. We're going to be the funniest we've ever been. We're going to be the most thoughtful we've ever been. They're going to see the best of the best of us, right? If we want somebody to be attractive to us because we're going to try to sell ourselves to that person. Advertising companies know this too. Anytime you see a commercial with advertising firms, they're, they're trying to attract you to their product. They're trying to get you to want their product and they're always going to show you the best side of it, right? Every time you see a commercial for any kind of alcoholic beverage, it's always the greatest party that's ever been. Everybody in the commercial is just having the time of their life because they're consuming this beverage, right? They're never going to show you the guy that got a DUI because he drank too much of it and drove home or show you the guy that's stumbling drunk and falling in a ditch because they want you to see the best side. The credit card companies, they're always gonna show you the, the upside of having a credit card. Look at the, look at the freedom you're gonna have. You know, some of the cars are even called freedom and they show you how great life can be if you just use our credit card. They're never gonna show you the guy sitting at his table with all his bills around him wondering how he's gonna get himself out of debt because they're trying to attract you. There's an, there's an attraction that Companies, everybody in this world is trying to get us to give into. Um, attraction has been around since the beginning of time. I mean, G uh, God, when he created the heavens and the earth, in the first book in the whole Bible, the first chapter, he said, it says that he saw what he created, that it was good. That, it, that word means pleasant. It's just another way of saying it was attractive. It was, it was good. And we see in God's creation there's times you see when it's, whether it's the mountains, the beach, whatever it is, there's an attraction there. It, it feels good. You get a dopamine rush if you see something in nature that you really love. But you know, the enemy uses it too. In fact, in the first book of the Bible, the enemy used it on Eve. He tempted her with this fruit. And the Bible says that Eve saw it and saw that it was desirable and that it was pleasant. And she took it. The enemy uses attraction too. In fact, all the way getting to the end of the New Testament in James, James tells us, he sa it says in James 1.14, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. That word enticed there means lured. It's just, a, again, another way of saying attracted. We can become attracted to the things of the flesh that draw us away from what we really should be attracted to. So this brings me to 
attractive Christianity, the title of my message. Are we making Christianity attractive? What is our role in making Christianity attractive? I mean, part of us can think, well, that should be able to sell itself, right? Christianity, it's the greatest story ever told. The gospel is the greatest story in the history of the world. It's the greatest truth that there ever was, so it should be able to sell itself, right? I mean, there's nothing more attractive in all the universe than the gospel. But us in the faith, we know that it's something that we need, not just something that we want. But the problem is there's a lot of people outside of faith that don't know that that don't perceive it, that don't see it. We shouldn't have to entice or attract people to it because there is a desperate need for everyone to be in the Christian faith because we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. But the reality is people don't all see that need. So we, as the body of Christ, we are tasked with making Christianity attractive to people. We are supposed to be exemplifying attractive Christianity. Now, it's no secret that Christianity in culture today, in many parts of culture, it's not very attractive to a lot of people. Some of that is the fault of the church, probably. Some of that is just the nature of sin. Some of it is the enemy. In fact, the Bible tells us that the enemy has uh, blinded unbelievers so that they cannot see the light. They cannot see the truth. So they, they don't even know that this is something they need. So the enemy is very, very involved in this too. But I'll, I'll admit it sometimes for me, it's a struggle to understand how so many people can reject this faith. Because when you're inside of this faith, you understand how great it really is. You understand that it is the greatest story ever told. You understand that, it, that it, the, the fact that God himself would pour out his love on us by sending his own son to die for us, to die for me, is incredible. To be able to step into the grace of God that not only does grace mean I don't get what I deserve, it also means I, I get what I don't deserve, which is God's favor, his love, being part of his family, being in relationship with him. The thought of being able to be in relationship with the God of the universe and the fact that people would reject that sometimes is mind-boggling. Yet at the same time, I kind of get it because the enemy has blinded. There's, time, there's aspects even in my own faith that sometimes I don't always want all those things. Sometimes I want what I want more than I want that. So there is an aspect where we have to make it attractive because if we're honest with ourselves, the body of Christ is somewhat responsible for some of the stigma around Christianity today. We have a part to play in it as well. Some of it is the fact that we're not being what my text verse says, salt and light. Jesus says that we are the salt of the world, that we are the light of the world. We are called to be that because we haven't been that like we should, we see that People have rejected this faith. Now listen, I'm aware that the Bible shows us and it's obviously very clear that there's parts of people in the world that will never be attracted to the gospel, no matter what. They will, in fact, there's people that will hate you because of the gospel is what Jesus says. They'll say that, well, you're just narrow-minded because you think there's only one way to God or, or you're just virtue signaling or you're, you're, you're just trying to be better than me or whatever, you're judgmental, whatever it is. There's certain people that will never ever be attracted to Christianity no matter how attractive it's made because they have been blinded by the enemy or they have just given in to their own fleshly lusts and have determined that they wanna live that way. But the reality is that Jesus has called us to be salt and light, to make Christianity attractive, so there's some truth to the fact that if we do that, there's, there's gonna be impact in people's lives. We don't know who all the time, but we know that it will be impactful. And I wanna be crystal clear before I go any further, God doesn't need us to save people. 
Okay? In fact, we can't save people. None of us have ever saved anyone from a spiritual death. God is the only one that saves people, and God doesn't need people to do it. We hear all the time, I've heard many, many stories of people getting saved in miraculous ways that didn't even involve a person. You know, I, I don't know if it's still true, but I know you, not too many years ago, they said the number one way for, for Muslims to get saved is having a dream about Jesus. He shows up to them in their dreams. And people get saved constantly. So God doesn't need us as people, but he wants to use us. He wants to utilize us. He wants us to be salt and light. He wants, to, he wants to, uh, us as his followers and passionate people that love him and love his word to be his hands and feet and to be vessels that he can use to display his glory to others. And it's a responsibility on each and every one of us in our life. Because if you think about it, someone most likely, if you're here today or you're listening online and, and you are a follower of Jesus and you're a Christian, somebody was probably making Christianity attractive to you. For you to be able to step into it and walk into it, somebody probably led you down that path. Now, some of you might say, well, when I was a kid, my mom made me get saved. I didn't have a choice. That doesn't count. <laughs> but uh, because you eventually still at some point had to make a decision. But most of us have had that happen to us, and so God expects us to do the same thing for others. And God may use you, and he wants to use you, not in a, not in a using type of way. He wants to fill you with his spirit so that you can be glorifying for him. But the, the beauty of all of it is that we're not actually the main attraction. Because if, if it all depended on us, and people even just seeing the fruit of God's mercy and grace in our life, and that was the only thing that did it, we would all be in a lot of trouble because all of us are imperfect. No one has figured it completely out. And we're all on a journey trying to figure out this life of faith. But Jesus told us, tells us very clearly that we are not the main attraction. In fact, he tells us what it is in John 12. And it's actually really cool. He, he shares this, this little tidbit of information to his disciples in John 12, verse 32. It says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He, he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He says, I will draw. He's, he's attracting men and women and children to himself. This is not literal. He's not talking about all humans will be saved with this, but he's saying, I'm, I'm going to be drawing mankind to myself. There will be a place for everyone. And what he's showing us here, he's, it says he's showing the kind of death he was going to die. So he's talking about the fact that when I am lifted up on the cross, when I die this crucifixion death on the cross, I'm going to draw people to me. That is going to be the magnet that pulls people into Christianity. It's going to be the cross. The cross is the number one magnet to Christianity. In fact, it's the only magnet that has long-lasting effects in our life. The people that get saved because they just love the idea of, of being part of a church community or being, uh, being able to have the, the, the privileges of being a Christian, most of the time those people don't stick around unless they get a revelation of the cross. The cross is what actually is the magnet that pulls us into faith. It's the most attractive aspect of Christianity by far. But we oftentimes leave that out when we're talking about our faith, don't we? We oftentimes leave it out. Maybe it's because you don't fully understand it sometimes. Maybe it's because you don't think it sounds appealing. Maybe it sounds weird to say that I'm serving this guy that died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And that's what the enemy would want us to do. But the reality is, the most this is not up for debate, church. The most attractive part, the, most, the biggest thing in Christianity that will draw people to the faith is the cross. Period. 
There is nothing else. And it's not the cross in and of itself, the actual cross. It is what the cross represents. It represents forgiveness for sins. It represents redemption. It represents healing, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual healing. It, it represents all the things that make the faith that we have what it is. Praise God. So if we're going to be salt and light, if we're going to be sharing our faith, if we're going to be living it out loud in such a way, wouldn't we want to use the most attractive part to try to attract people to the faith? I mean, for those of you, when you, you know, whichever watch you pick, like that's the one I would go, I want a smartwatch. Okay, well, when they market smartwatches, they don't market it by saying like, hey, you really need this Apple watch because it keeps really good time. I mean, nothing keeps time like this watch. We wouldn't care, right? Nobody has a watch anymore for the time. We got that on our phone now, right? We don't need a watch for time. They don't market it that way. They market it by the most attractive aspect of it, which is like the fact that it basically does everything except allows you to fly. You know, I mean, they just, it, it can change your life. You can get everything on your, your, your Apple watch now. So that's how they market it. They're trying to figure out the most attractive part of it and they're gonna give that to you. You know, when it comes to shoes, if you like the comfortable shoes, they don't market comfortable shoes by saying, you know, we got the, we got the best shoelaces known to man in these shoes. You're gonna want these shoes. Nobody cares about the shoelaces. As long as they tie and hold together, that's good, you know? They're gonna market it by saying they're really comfortable and they're, you know, they're gonna last forever. They're gonna, they're gonna look at the attractiveness of it and what's gonna draw people to it. It's the same way with us. They leverage the things that will draw people to it. We need to leverage the things that draw people to faith, which starts with the cross. It starts with the cross in our life. It is the most attractive aspect. The strength of Christianity is the cross. I just preached a whole sermon on the cross just a few weeks ago. I encourage you, if you haven't heard it, to go back because it is, it is that, that revelation that we desperately need in our life if we're really going to live our faith and be salt and light the way Jesus has asked us to live it. Paul said when he was, uh, he was talking, he, I don't remember which book it's in actually right now, but he said that, I think it's in Corinthians, he said, I am determined to know nothing, to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. He, wants, he, he doesn't preach anything else other than Jesus and the cross because that is what draws people to the faith. It's the cross and it is the cross alone. That's the attraction. The fact that God loves you enough to die for you. Sometimes that's hard to tell people, right? People that don't really have a context for it and don't understand it to say that God actually died can sound weird. But when you hear the whole story, it's actually really cool that God came and died, but he rose again and he did it for you. It's an incredible strength of the gospel. So, but there are also aspects of our lifestyle that are revealed in my text verse that, that I think is also very prevalent for us and very important that we, uh, that we make it a priority in our life, not just to talk to people about the cross and, and always talking about you know, our faith out loud because that's, that's something that's important to do, but it's not just that. Our lifestyle actually matters too. And when Jesus is talking about being salt and light, he's talking about a lot about your lifestyle and how you live your life. Because you know, the world looks at how we live too. They see our life and they, they see, they look to see, a lot of times they're looking to see if they can nitpick us to death and tell us that we're just hypocrites. But a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are looking to see how has God changed your life. You say you're transformed, I wanna see it. And they can see it. And that's about being salt and light. So I'm gonna kind of break down the salt and light for us for a few minutes, okay? The first one he says, you are the salt of the earth. Okay, now for those of us, if you've been saved a long time, you've read this verse and you know exactly what it means, it makes sense. If you're new to faith, 
See, Jesus calling you the salt of the earth could sound a little weird. You know, shouldn't I be sugar? Shouldn't I just be sweet? You know? No, he says to be salt. So let's, let's talk about salt for a minute because there's, there's a few aspects of salt that are really, really amazing, actually, when you, when you break it down and you see that Jesus called us salt. Because first of all, salt is valuable. Now, in Jesus' day, salt was even more valuable than it is today. It was, it was, uh, in fact, it was known that sometimes they would pay soldiers in salt because it was so valuable. Now, if we paid our military today in salt, would anybody be okay with that? Probably not. <laughs> I can go to Food Lion and get some Mortons. You know, I don't need you to pay me salt. I want money. But uh, it was more valuable back then. But it's valuable today, too. But it, was, it had even greater value back then. But what he, Jesus is telling us is that when he calls us salt, he's saying that we, as the body of Christ, are valuable to this earth. We're not outcasts, church. We're not, we're not a fringe element of society. We are very, very important to the earth. We are very valuable. God wants to use us in this earth. That's why he's calling us salt. And it's really cool because of the fact that salt is valuable, what that tells me is that the moment you get saved, the moment that you step into salvation, you give your life to Jesus, your value to God increases. Now, some people would have a hard time with that. Like, doesn't God see us all as the same? No, he doesn't. He absolutely does not. In fact, until you are saved, you're not actually part of the family of God. You're not part of the family of God until you're saved. And if you're not saved, you're not part of the family of God, you're actually an object of his wrath, okay? So no, he doesn't see, we're not, we don't all have the same value. Your value when you step into faith increases. That's why he says you're the salt of the earth. Jesus is talking to people that are his followers. When you become a follower of Jesus, you become more valuable, which is, is really interesting is even, even another reason it's hard for me to understand sometimes why people reject God because your value increases because you become part of the family of God. Okay. How many, of you know, family is more valuable to you than other people. Your immediate family, my wife and my kids, they're more value to me, valuable to me than anybody else. I love all you guys, but they're way more valuable to me because they're my family. They're my blood. They, they do life with me every day. So if you're in the family of God, you're more valuable to him. You're part of his family. So for people to reject God, to reject being part of the family of God, it's hard to comprehend because it's an incredible blessing to know that now I'm God's child. Now I can come into his throne room. I can come not as a subject, but I can come as a child of the king. And it's beautiful that we get to do that. And we also become useful for his kingdom. We increase in value because we are useful for the kingdom now. Now we can be his hands and feet. Now we can go out and we can be light. We can be salt. We can be what he wants us to be. We're not just taking up space, but we're actually being used for his kingdom. We're being used for his glory. And when I say used, when God uses us, it's not like when a person uses you. They're just using you to get something out of you. When God uses us, it's a good thing because he anoints us, he empowers us, and he gives us everything we need to use us for what he wants to use us for, and it's gonna be really good. So when God does this, it's a good thing because now his spirit is in you so he can use you for his kingdom. So we become difference makers. Salt is valuable because it makes a difference with the things that it is involved with. You are meant to make a difference in the lives of the people God puts in your circle. You are a difference maker. That's a big deal, church. You are not 
just somebody that's just here because you're just here. When you step into the family of God, he says, you are salt. You're going to make a difference. When you're, when you're in, involved in a situation, it's going to make a difference. You're not an accident. You're not here by happenstance. You were ordained by God to know him and to serve him and to make a difference in the lives of people around you. And that is a fact for every one of us. And the difference you're going to make may look different than somebody else. Not everybody's called to preach on a stage. Not everybody's called to, to do vocational ministry, but we are all called to be ministers of the gospel. And God wants to use you to do that. So salt is valuable. It also seasons. Now we know about this part, right? Salt makes things better. Can someone say amen? amen. Salt is good. It makes food taste better. You ever had a french fry without salt? No, thank you. I don't know what that is, but I ain't eating it. French fry, popcorn without salt? Come on. That's offensive. Salt makes things better. Every vegetable farmer in the world should be on his knees thanking God for salt. Because it's the only thing that makes broccoli palatable. Besides maybe cheese. But there's salt and cheese, so that doesn't count. All right. Salt makes food better. It's a seasoning. It's meant to make things better. So if I'm salt, I'm meant to be seasoning for the earth. Now, not for the earth, like the grass and the trees and the mountains. I'm meant to be seasoning for the people. We are meant to season our society, season our culture, that we make a difference, that we make culture better. Culture should be saying we are better because there are Christians here. Grovetown should be saying we are better because New Hope is here. It should be better. This town should, should grieve if we ever closed our doors because they would know that the people of this church are going out and we are making things better. Now, here's the thing about salt, though, too. Salt, as great as it is for food, by itself, it's not very good, is it? You ever had a spoonful of salt? I don't recommend it. It is not good. It's only good when it's added to something, when it's attached to something. We are only salt if we are attached to Jesus. He's talking about this in reference of being a follower of his. So the only reason we can season society and culture and our friend group and our circle and our coworkers, the only reason we can be seasoning for them is because of what's in us. And that's Jesus and his spirit. So the moral of the story is stay attached to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. His, him, him making a salt is about us being in relationship with him. It's about us knowing him on an intimate and personal level, that we would talk to him frequently, that we'd read the Bible, that we're considering him in every aspect of our life. That's what makes us salt. It's only if he is part of it. If we're just salt by ourselves, it's not very good. We're meant to be used by him. In fact, I would say that a lot of people in the church are kind of just like that. They're kind of just salt by themselves. They're not making things better. They just kind of dry out your mouth. You know, that's what religion is. Religion is just salt. It's not seasoning anything. It's just making people feel bad and making them want to spit you out of their mouth. It's not about religion. It's about our relationship with Jesus. That's what makes us season the people around us in our life. So salt seasons. Salt also preserves. It's a preservative. Some, some people don't know this because we don't use it much for that in our own homes, but uh, it preserves things. In fact, part of the reason it was so valuable back in Jesus' time was because 
they use salt to preserve meat. Because, you know, now we don't do that. Now we just throw it in the freezer and let it get as hard as a brick. But back in the day, they used salt to preserve meat. So that's what made it so valuable because you could go, you could use it to preserve your meat and you could save your meat for longer if you had a bunch of meat. And it didn't, it, it, it slows down the rot and the decay. So God is telling, Jesus is telling us we are salt. We are meant to preserve culture. We're meant to preserve society. We're meant to preserve the friend groups that we have, the coworkers that we have, our neighbors, our family that doesn't know him. We're meant to preserve those. We're meant to slow down the decay and the rot. We're meant to be a preservative. Society needs us to be a seasoning. The people in your life need you to preserve them. And do you, you can kind of see what, when you start unpacking this, you see that kind of what Jesus is saying without saying it is that sitting on the sidelines once you are a follower of Jesus is not an option. It's not an option to just sit by and just live your life and white knuckle it till you get to heaven. You can't be salt. Salt is worthless if it's sitting on the sidelines. If salt's in a jar just sitting on a counter not doing anything, it's not doing anything. There's no place for us in faith to just not be actively involved in being salt and light in our culture. And anybody that tells you different is giving you fake news because it's not scriptural. It's the opposite of scripture. That we have a part to play as followers of Jesus. I mean, Jesus said it in my text verse, one of the lines that uh, in, in verse 12, 13, 14, I think it says, if, if salt loses its saltiness, in other words, if it stops seasoning and preserving, so if you lose your preserving and your seasoning, it is no longer good for anything. You see, Jesus didn't have to sugarcoat or mince words. He just said it. So basically, if we stop seasoning and preserving, we're losing value. We're losing value to God because we are called to be the salt that he has built us up and equipped us to be in life. So there's no place to be on the sidelines. So salt is very clear who we are when, when he calls us the salt. He also calls us light. He says, you are the light of the world, which is very interesting that he calls us the light of the world. He's given us a glimpse of what it looks, the outworking of being a Christian here too. And you know, up until this point, Jesus always referred to himself as the light of the world. So what's he doing here? Is he putting us on equal plane with him? God, I hope not, because we're not anywhere near it. He's definitely not making us equal to him. What is he doing? By calling us the light of the world. Well, I think he gives it a little better, more clear picture in John 8, where he talks about it too, in verse 12. Look what he says. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So good. This is so, so good, church. So what he's telling us here is that he actually he's the light. Okay, we're not the light. Well, then why does he say I'm the light of the world? Because what he's telling us is that if we live with him, if we follow him, if we live our life for him, what does he do? He puts his spirit in us, which is him, which is the light, and then we will have the light of life, is what he says in John 8. He says, so you'll have it, it's gonna shine through you, and it's going to be a light to the people in your life. So this actually takes a lot of pressure off of us because you are not the source of the light. Can somebody say praise God? I don't wanna be the source of the light. My light gets pretty dim sometimes. When I'm grouchy, when I'm upset, when I'm discouraged, when I'm frustrated, when I'm in a bad mood, my light's not very good. But Jesus is saying, you're not the source of the light, so it's fine. 
The light is actually in you. It's the Holy Spirit of God in you and it's shining through you. You will have the light of life. And what that light is designed to do, it's designed to push out darkness. Light pushes out darkness. In fact, never in the history of the world has somebody turned on a light and the darkness in the room said, nah, I don't think I'm gonna leave. It has no option but to go. The light pushes it out. He says, let your light shine before men that they may see. It is up to you to let the Spirit of God shine through you so that people can see. You're not the source of the light, but you are a conduit for it. And it's not just for the super spiritual. It's not for the pastors. It's not for the church staff. It's not for the evangelists and the apostles and all the other people. It's for all of us. Jesus says, if you follow me, you will have the light that leads to life. If you're a follower of his, that's, all, that's the requirement. That's the prerequisite. That's the quota. That's the standard to be able to have that light. We all have it if you are a follower of Jesus. And he says, this light will make it so that men can see. It's actually in 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul said what I was trying to say earlier. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So you know a way to not see light when it's turned on in a room even though the darkness leaves? A blindfold. So he's saying here, the enemy, to keep people in darkness, will put a blindfold over them. It's not that there's still darkness there. The darkness has to leave if the light's on. But if you don't know you're in darkness, or if you don't know the light's on, you can stay in darkness and still walk around like a person in the dark, when the reality is the light's on. So what removes that darkness from people is when they see our light. Let your light shine before men that they may see. It's really very simple. And it's really actually very freeing because I just have to live my life for Jesus and let him live through me and commit my life to him. And he's going to use me to show the light to people and people are going to get saved through his light in me and through me. And you know what? You may not know every time that happens. You may not get to pray with a lot of people to, to give their life to Jesus, but people are still watching. People see how you live. People see what you're doing. Some of the worst most outspoken critics of Christianity in your life are watching you to see. And some of those most outspoken anti-Christian people in your life are the ones that will get saved because of what they see in your life. If they're seeing the actual light and not seeing a bunch of hypocrisy. That's what God has called us to do. Don't ever think that your life doesn't matter, that, that me living according to the standards and the principles of the word doesn't matter because nobody's really paying attention to me. I'm not that popular. I'm not that good looking. I'm not that smart. I don't have that much to give. It doesn't matter because it's not about you. You're not the source of the light. The Holy Spirit will work through you. The Holy Spirit is the one that illuminates the truth to people, but he uses you to do it. Amen? If the light is shining, it's visible. Another proof that your faith is not a private matter. Do not believe the lie that is being pushed hardcore in society and even in some churches that your faith is a private thing. Nobody wants to hear about it. It's not fair. You let them believe what they want to believe. You believe what you want to believe. Don't push your vision, your values, your faith on other people. 
Now, I know some people don't want to hear it, but a lot more people want to than you think. Jesus is saying it. Your faith is not a private matter. It's not meant to be just something you have in church with your church friends. Church is not meant to be a commune where we go in and we all hide and we just isolate ourselves from society. Church is meant to be a huddle where we come together and we get to play and we go out and we live the life. And I promise you, people will see it. And it will impact people's lives. All right, let me read one more verse for you. This is the last verse of my text. It's Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We don't do good deeds to get God to like us. Amen? That's not why we do it. We don't do good deeds to try to get salvation. We don't do good deeds to get favor from God. We don't do good deeds so that we're more righteous. We do good deeds because we're righteous. We do good deeds because of what God has done for us, because of God's favor in our life, because of the salvation we've experienced, because of the cross. That's why we do good deeds. And when we do good deeds, according to what Jesus said, people will see those good deeds and it will cause them to praise their father. It's up to Jesus to do it. You don't have to be, you don't have to be perfectly eloquent in how you explain the scriptures to people. Your good deeds are preaching the gospel. When you're good, when you respond well to something that you shouldn't have responded well to, it impacts people. When you got a non-Christian in your car and you're driving and somebody cuts you off, if you just, like this, it makes a difference. And conversely, if you say, you bleepity bleep, that hurts your witness. That's not a good deed. Whatever it is, when we respond in a way that is that is contrary to, to culture, they notice. See, if you're really gonna live this, you have to get outside your comfort zones and you have to live counterculturally. It's the only way to do it. If your life looks like culture does all the time except Sunday morning, you're not being salt and light. Our life should not line up with culture. And I'm not talking about, like, I know most of us probably aren't just like having this whole secret life where we're just partying it up and doing everything known to man that we shouldn't be doing, but I'm just even talking about just, just living a normal life. If your life just lines up with culture in every way except your Sunday morning, you're not being salt and light. You should be rising above. You should be doing more than just trying to get through the week. And you should be responding well to things that might want to derail you in your life. Because that's how, it, it's so practical how we become salt and light. It's, we want to over-spiritualize it sometimes. Sometimes it's just a matter of like just listening to people that want to talk. Not always talking, but actually listening. That's something we in the church could really do a lot better at. Listen to people. The problem is we want to be interesting because we think people will like us. What people really want is for you to be interested in them. It's, and some of that is just so easy. It's just like, it, that's why we call this series Enough About Me. Because it's so easy, even in Christendom, to just be about yourself and hoping you can get people to like you and hoping you can get favor with people when the reality is people need you to be Jesus to them. It's very practical. And just by doing that, just by listening to someone and not cutting them off and trying to figure out how quickly you can get the conversation turned to be about you again, just listening to people, you're being salt. You're seasoning them. It's just so easy. I shouldn't say it's easy. It's simple. Sometimes it can be a challenge, but God wants to use you in so many ways. And don't let the fact that you don't feel like you know your Bible well enough or you don't know how to talk well enough stop you. Because God will use whatever he has put in you 
to be a blessing and to be salt and light to the culture. Amen. Stand with me, please. I want to pray for us today. I just ask you to, to respond to this, this prayer, to, to let God minister to your heart. We're actually going to have prayer leaders on both sides over here. You're welcome to go to them for, if you want prayer in response to this message or for anything in your life. You just want somebody to agree with you in prayer. They're going to be there. Feel free to go at any time. But I want to pray for all of us this morning, this afternoon, just that God would let this word permeate in our hearts. Because I know anytime we talk about like, you know, living outside of ourselves and being an example, being a witness for our faith, it just, it can, it can cause us to get into the cold sweat. Because man, it's just so hard to talk about my faith with people. You know, I'm just not good at it. Plus people just, they're just, they're so far from God. I just don't feel like they want to hear. I'm not saying we all have to go out tomorrow and witness to all of our coworkers. Okay. If God leads you to do that, that's actually wonderful, but you don't have to do that. I explained what salt and light is. It's a lot more practical than we make it out to be sometimes and look for the opportunities because eventually those people, a lot of times will come to you and say, why are you different? Our boss just reamed us all out for something we didn't even do. And you took it and didn't want to cuss him out like the rest of us. Why are you different? Oh, well, let me tell you, because Jesus transformed my life. And sometimes it's just that simple. And then invite them to church and they get to hear the gospel. I mean, it's really, it doesn't have to be as hard as we make it out to be. But the reality is we do have to get out of our comfort zone. He's called us to be salt and light. And it's not for a select few, it's for every one of us that would call Jesus our Lord and Savior. Amen. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for your word, God, because your word is what transforms us. Thank you for every one of us in this room and watching online that have been transformed by the power of the cross, by your grace and your mercy in our life, God. We thank you for the transformation. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our life, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be salt and light. Help us to get out of our comfort zones or we know our culture is all about comfort. It is a very, very high priority in culture today, being comfortable in every aspect. But God, we know that our faith is not always comfortable, that it is not about just being able to relax, but it is about being a soldier for you, that we are part of your army and you've called us, Lord, to be this salt and light. Help us to be seasoning. Help us to be a preservative for our community and our culture and our society and our friends and our our family and everybody in our life, God. Help us to be that, that you've called us to be, Lord. Let this word germinate in our hearts, God. Let it not be something we forget by this afternoon, but that it does the work in our heart that it was set out to do to transform us and make us more like you and to be your people. We love you and we thank you for it all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you.